Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Is anybody glad to be in the house of God this morning? Can somebody give him some praise? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. As always, I am so honored and privileged uh, to be able to bring to you this morning the word of God. Um, and always nervous. I am always nervous before I present to you the word that God has put in me. But I am so grateful and honored to be in this position. And so let's just jump right into, let's jump right into the word after I say a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we humbly come into your presence, O God, and I just pray that your spirit would touch this service, O Lord. Touch this vessel, O God. This is just a vessel of clay, O Lord, that has come to bring you honor. Lord, I pray that you use these lips to speak your words. Let the hearts and minds of your people be ready to receive what you have uh, placed in me today, O God. We give you all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' holy name. I got... Praise God. We're going to begin our scripture reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Starting with verse 17. Now I was going to try to uh, give Sister Kristen like a list of the of all of the scriptures that I was going to be using. And then I thought about it and I said, well, I don't know, because pastor warned everybody or told everybody before this series started that he wanted you to bring a physical Bible. He wanted you to bring a physical Bible. Now, they do still put the scriptures on the wall, but I wonder how many of us are actually out there reading in our physical Bibles. So although I was going to say it to Sister Kristen, I, I thought against it and said, no, nah, you know what? I think we're just going to turn to these and read to them together. And if she wants to put them up there, she can, because I'm sure there's some people that haven't brought a physical Bible. And I don't want you to miss out on the word of God. Second Chronicles 36, starting with verse 17. It says, so the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and old women, the old and the infirm. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. Then his army burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet has said. That's a weird scripture to start a sermon from. But I just want to remind you that what we're doing here is we're connecting the dots. 
We're trying to connect the dots. Like Pastor said the last time that he preached, and I knew, and I'm going to give you a little refresher a little bit later because I know that it's, it's been in between a couple weeks since the last time Pastor preached, and you may not exactly understand where he left off, but where Pastor left off was the Israelites were coming into the promised land. And here in this scripture now, they're being taken out of the promised land and being taken captivity into Babylon. And the one thing that got them there, the, the only thing that put them where they are is the choices that they've made. And that's some of what I want to speak to you about this morning is the choices. Choices that we make in our life. Our lives are defined by a series of choices that we continue to make. Every day we encounter in this life a chance to make a choice or a decision or multiple decisions that we have to choose every day. From the moment that our alarm clock goes off and we wake up, we have to decide whether we're going to get up out of the bed or whether we're going to hit the snooze button and lay down for another 15 minutes. We, got, we have to decide whether we're going to get up and hit our knees and, and, and get on our face and, and call on heaven for prayer or are we just going to try to do that on our way to work. We have to decide whether or not we're going to read our Bible and, and dig into Scripture or are we just going to scroll through some, some Scriptures that people posted on Facebook and say that that's good enough for today. Every day we're faced with choices that we have to make. Every day we're faced with choices that we have to make. We have to choose whether we're going to resist the devil and flee from him or whether we're going to give in to the temptations that he's dangling before our face. We have to choose. That's our choice to make. Understand that God gave you free will. He's not going to handcuff you and make you do anything. Every day you have to choose. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 30 and 19, God spoke to the Israelites, and he said, and he said this word I give you today, I call on heaven and earth as witnesses before you, that I have set before you a choice, life and death. Blessings or cursings. Now choose life that your children may live. That you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. The Lord is your life. See, when we read this story, we find out that God's people then, like we are now, are in the position that they were in because of the choices that they've made. Can I tell you that we make the same choices? every day that our lives are shaped around the choices that we made your marriage is in the condition right now that it's in because of the choices that either one of you or two of you are making and bringing to approach your marriage your walk with God is where it is right now because of the way that you decided to approach your walk with God see God promised if we draw closer to him this is what he said he said you don't have to worry about it this is what God said in the book of James he said if you draw nigh unto me then I'm for sure going to draw nigh unto you so you hear pastors say it all the time but I figured I'd say it again you got just as much God in your life as you want to have because of the choices that you make he promised you, if you come close to me, I'll come close to you. If you seek me, you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. We are what's holding us back from having more of the presence of God in our lives. 
If you wonder why, if you wonder what's holding you back from having more God, we say, give us more. I want more. I want more. We used to sing that song in the church. I want more. We say, give us more. If you want to know what's holding you back from having more of God in your life, it's you. Because God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man, that, that he shall repent. He said, if you want more, I'll give you more. But you have to seek me, and then you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. We are a reflection of the choices that we make. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows into the flesh, he shall reap of the flesh corruption. But if he sows into the spirit, he shall reap of the spirit everlasting. We are a reflection of the choices that we make. In other words, if you want friends, be friendly. If you want peace, be peaceful. If you want love, be lovely. But you have to be the one to make the decision and make the choices that you want to see to be reflected in the life that you live. Luke 6 and 38. I ain't giving you chances to catch up with these scriptures in your Bible, am I? I'm just going right through them, huh? <laughs> Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure. This is what God says. Give, and it shall be given unto you. And a lot of times we think of that as money. Well, it is money, too. It could be monetary things, but also that's your time. Also, that's peace. If you be kind to people, then expect kindness to come back to you. If you be loving to people, then expect lovingness to come back to you. But if you're bitter to people, then expect bitterness to come back to you. If you're angry with people, expect anger to come back to you. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure is what the Bible says. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. And here in this passage, this is where Israel finds themselves. Because of the choices that they made along the way. They failed to apply the instructions that God gave them to accompany the blessings that they were going to receive. I'm going to say that again so you understand it. They failed to imply the instructions that God gave them to accompany the blessing that they... We don't think that blessings come with instructions. See, we, don't, we, we act like blessings don't come with instructions. They, 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 they failed, they failed to, 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 to obey the instructions they come to accompany the blessings. So when we talk about connecting the dots, and we talk about Israel, what, what, what Pastor left off with, Israel going into the kingdom, and then God told them some things. He said, he said I'm bringing you into this great blessing, but, but I'm giving you this blessing, and there's some things that you need to do to keep it. I'm giving you blessings. I'm giving you this job, but there's some things that you need to do to keep it, like be to work on time. There's some things that you need to do to keep You can't take a vacation every two weeks. There's some things that you need to do. I'm going to give you this blessing, but there's some things that you need to do on your side to keep it. And in Jeremiah 2 and 13, 
There was two mistakes that Israel made, and, and, this, and I get it from Jeremiah 2 and 13. He said there's two things, that it, two mistakes that Israel made, and this is why when we read in 2 Chronicles 36 that now the Babylonians have come, and they're taking them, and they're leading out of their camp. Now, I'm not going to preach this too much because Pastor preached a lot of this the last time he preached, but, but I do just want to get you caught up. I'm just giving you a refresher. There's two things. In Jeremiah 2 and 13, this is what the Lord said to Jeremiah. He said, my people have done two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Now, just in case you may not understand what that means, I'm, I'm sure that you understand what it means when he says that they abandoned me the fountain of living water. But then he also says that that they dug cracked cisterns for themselves. And what he means by that is they went after other gods. They dug cracked cisterns for themselves. They can't even hold water. They abandoned the fountain of living water for cracked cisterns for false gods that can't even hold water. They put their trust in something that don't even exist. You know what amazes me? What amazes me is how people are getting the planes and fly in the buildings and walk in the, and walk in the businesses with bombs strapped to them and they swear that they're doing it in the name of a God that don't even exist and you can't even get Christians to come to church. It amazes me their dedication to a God that don't even exist. And we can't get people to sign up for programs that's posted out in the hallway. It amazes me. Cracked cisterns that can't hold no water. That's taking them nowhere. So this is what he said. The two warnings, two warnings that God people could have obeyed to avoid this situation that they find themselves in. And both of these pastor talked about the last time. But like I said, I'm giving you a refresher. Pastor talked about the last time. Let's look at Deuteronomy 7, verses 2 through 5. Now, he didn't preach this, this one here, but he did mention it. Deuteronomy verse chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. This is what God said to the Israelites. He said, when the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. In other words, when I take you into this promise, when I give you this blessing, everything that is in there, you must completely destroy it. He said, this, this is what he said. He said, make no treaties with them, nor show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let their daughters and sons marry your sons and daughters. And there was a reason why. He said, the reason why you're not allowed to do this is because they will lead your children away to worship their gods. Oh, I wish somebody would get an understanding of that. That when you got saved and came into the family of Christ, that there's some things in your life that you can't go back to. There's some people, I understand we want to save everybody. I want everybody to be saved too because God wants everybody to be saved. But there's some people you just can't go back to because while you're trying to lift them up, the enemy put them in your life to pull you down. And they'll make you worship their gods. And this is what he said. He said, this is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars, 
shatter their sacred pillars and cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols. And Israel failed to obey the instructions that accompany the blessing. The second thing that Israel did, which is really the first thing when God says they abandoned me, the fountain of living water, this one pastor preached on. So I'm just going to read the scripture for you. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in them, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold has multiplied along with everything else, be careful that you do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. Do not abandon God. When you come into your blessings and you start to realize how blessed I am, like I said, I ain't going to preach it because he preached it already. So here we are where God's people have been moved into a position that God has promised them. They've been moved into a position that God has promised them. And just to take you back a little bit more, God promised them through Abraham in Genesis 22. I know i got a lot of scriptures that I'm going through. Genesis 22, 16 and 17, when Abraham took uh, Isaac up on the mountain to, to sacrifice him, and then God set the ram in, in his place. And, and after that, God said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous in the stars as the sky and the sands and the seashore. He said, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. So here we are now. Here they are in the possession of the cities of their enemies, living in the promise that God had gave them. Now they are in the land of their blessing. And now it has to seem like the land that was once their blessing has now become in their cursing as they're being drug out of their blessing. Something that God promised to them. But he also promised that if you don't do these things, this is what's going to happen. He also promised that if you fail to obey these instructions, this is what can come. See, see, that's why I don't like people preaching once saved, always saved. Not only because I don't believe that the Bible doesn't support that theory. I don't believe that it supports that. You can walk away from your salvation anytime you want. You can decide that you don't want Jesus anymore. And trust me, once you decide that, you ain't going to heaven. I'm here to tell you right now that the moment that you decide that, your trip to heaven has been canceled. But if you decide again that I will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and make him my Lord, Lord and Savior, then salvation is given right back to you. See, they failed to obey the instructions that was given to accompany the blessings. And can I tell you that as Christians, we often fail to obey the instructions that is given to accompany the blessings. I'm going to give you three examples of that. I'll give you three examples of that. One of the things that we always say in the church, especially when we get good and revved up, we say, I'm glad to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm glad to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you that this is three of the greatest blessings that you'll ever receive in your life? 
to be saved by God, by Jesus Christ and the cross, and to be sanctified, to be set apart by him, and to be filled with his good Holy Ghost. Can I tell you that you won't get three blessings that are greater than these three? To be saved, sanctified, and filled. But the problem is, we act like being saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, it, which is the highest blessing we can receive, isn't accompanied with instructions that we need to obey. See, we want to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, but somehow have God just accept us to still live the way that we want to live and walk the way that we want to walk. As long as we come to church on Sunday, then everything else should be all right. But God didn't just save you for you to just come to church on on Sunday. God didn't just save you to have a free pass from hell. God saved you because God wants to use you. I wish somebody get that in their heart. If, if you don't understand that, don't clap. Don't clap if you don't understand that. God saved you because he wants to use you. Not for you to come to church. Not for you to get a free pass out of hell. Not for you just to make it to heaven. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life that's going to help somebody out there that's dying and going to hell. Hope I lose my place. Say, we act like that ain't in company with instructions we need to obey. This is why I love Romans chapter 6. Any of y'all that have been, I know. If you've been, heard me preach, I probably preach Romans chapter 6 as much as the pastor preaches John 11. I'm and Lazarus, I'm telling you. Romans chapter 6 is probably one of my favorite scriptures because it's the one that changed my life. Romans chapter 6, I mean, I was saved and I was going to church and, you know, and I was doing all of those things. And, and I think I maybe even was tithing. I know there was a point where I was going to church that I didn't even tithe. I was like, I ain't giving that preacher my money. I worked too hard for my money. I, I, I remember that. And then I remember I started tithing, and God just started giving me raises. I was like, wow, this is what tithing can do for you. Every year I got another raise, another raise, another raise. And then I missed a couple years with a raise. Then I got an even bigger raise. It's like, man, this is what God can do for you when you're faithful to tithe. But listen, Romans chapter 6, and, and uh, like I said, this is one of the scriptures that I preach a lot uh, when I'm preaching because it's one of the ones that turn my life completely around. And this is what it says. Romans chapter 6 and 10. It says, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Verse 10, verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Now, I, wanna, I want you to understand the struggle that I was having as I was reading the scripture and God was speaking to me. I was struggling with some of the things that I was thinking in my mind. And I'm like, God, I'm trying to do right and I'm trying to go to church. And, 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 and my mind just keeps being messed up with all of these messed up thoughts. And one of the things that God spoke to me is, is he said, well, how are you feeding your mind? What are you feeding your mind with? And it made me think about it. It's, are you reading your Bible? No, I wouldn't read my Bible, really. No, I mean, I was going to church. I heard the scriptures the pastor was preaching. But as far as me getting down and sitting down at the table and reading my that wasn't something that I was doing. So then obviously I wasn't feeding my mind with the word of God. 
said, are you feeding your mind with songs? And what? Nah, actually, the music I listened to wasn't even Christian music at the time. So, you know, the stuff that I listened to wasn't saying nothing about God unless they was calling themselves a God. But they wasn't saying nothing about the Lord. So, 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 so what are you feeding yourself? And, I, and when I thought about it, I said, everything that I'm feeding myself is this thing that I'm trying to escape. How am I going to get away from what I keep pouring into myself? How can I get out of what I keep pouring into myself? And that's what this scripture spoke to me. And he says, verse, verse 13, don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Now, in, in, the, in, the, in the King James Version, it says, uh, don't use your instruments as unrighteousness. And that's basically what this means. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. So what is that? So when it says, don't let any part of my body serve sin, what is that? That's the things that I touch. That's any part of my body, the things that I see, the things that I hear. Don't let that serve sin, the words that I speak. The, the power of life and death is in the tongue. He said, don't let any part of your body be an instrument to serve sin, right? So I keep reading. I keep reading. Uh, instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So that meant that I couldn't do half. I couldn't half go to church and half worship God and then half worship the things of the world. God said, either get all in. Jesus said, because you're hot and cold, I'd like to spew you out of my mouth. I spit you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold because you're lukewarm. Jesus said, get all in or get out. One or the other because you're not going to make it if you ain't all in. You know how I know? Because Matthew chapter 7 tells me that they came unto him and they said, Lord, have we not cast out devils in your name and done many wondrous works in your name and, and we done all of these things in your name and Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity for I never knew you because you never took the chance to get all in and give your whole self to God. I know this is hard preaching. This is hard preaching. I know it's hard preaching, but good thing I'm not an evangelist. Thank God I'm a pastor here. I could talk to you like this. Thank God I'm a pastor here. I don't have to speak an encouraging word. I'm trying to help you grow. So listen, although it'll get encouraging later, I, I ain't going to. Pastor once told me when I preached, he said, never take him through the wilderness without bringing him into the promised land. That's what he said. So it, we'll, we'll get a little encouragement later. But right now we're going to go through this wilderness. You're going to go through this wilderness. And then this is the verse. This is the, this is the scripture that changed my life. He said, previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. This is verse 19. It's led even deeper into sin. He said, previously, this is what you did. So this is how this verse spoke to me. It said, previously, basically, when I was on Team Satan, let's just call it Team Satan and Team Jesus said previously, when you was on Team Satan, everything that you did represented who you were. 
That's what I've said. If you've been with me a while, you probably heard me preach this. Everything that you did represented who you were. And I'm telling you that, that when I was in sin, I was all the way in sin. I wasn't half-stepping. My mom could invite me to church, and we would laugh at her. We weren't going to step foot in the church building because that was not what I was about doing. When I was in sin, I was all the way in sin. From the movies that I watched, the music that I listened to, the clothes that I wore, the way that I wore them, the people that I hung out with, I didn't hang out with you if you weren't doing the same stuff that I was doing because we didn't have nothing in common. When I was in sin, I was all the way in sin. And that's what this scripture says. That's what you were doing. When you was in sin, you was 100% in sin. And then it goes on to say, now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous things so that you will become holy. Oh. Oh. So... Just like I gave 100% of me to sin, now you're saying I should give 100% of me to righteousness? Now we're going back to the things that you said about the instruments that I use in my body and how I use them to glorify God and become holy. Now all of those things, the things that I'm watching, the things that I'm listening to, the things that I'm speaking, the way that I approach, let's, let's, not, let's not even make it all about that. Whether I'm being bitter or angry towards people, whether I got an attitude when I approach people, am I being Christ-like, am I loving, am I showing people the love of Jesus, or am I showing them hatred and envy and jealousy? Am I walking in those things or am I walking in the things of God? Because he said, let all your instruments be used now for righteousness. Trust me, I'm still working on that. I'm still working on that. There's some of them things God's still working out of me, trust me. There's some of them things God is still working out of me. But this is what he said. You gave, when you was on team Satan, you gave 100%. Everything you did represented who you was. And now that you're on team Jesus, all you want to give is a Sunday. You want to post a scripture every now and then on Facebook. Hope somebody see, hope they don't ask you a question about the scripture because you don't know nothing about it. Hope they don't ask you to explain that scripture because you don't really know nothing about it. You ain't studied the scripture. You just saw it on, on the Bible app and you figured it'd be something nice to post. We need more dedicated people in the kingdom of God. I'm not just talking about in Promise of Victory Church. I'm talking about in the kingdom of God. More people that are willing to give 100% of themselves to God just like you did when you was in the world. They failed to obey the instructions that accompany the promise. God hasn't broken the power of sin over our God has broken the power of sin over our lives. Not for us to go back to sin, but for, but for us to practice right living. Practice. Practice. Nobody expects you to be perfect. God don't expect you to be perfect. This is what he said. Not, not, he said for us to practice. Practice right living. He didn't break the power of sin just for you to continue to struggle with sin and go back, go in and out of sin. You know, this, this, this day you're doing good, and then the next day you're caught up in something else. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't save you from, he broke the power. That means that it has no power over you. So you know what that means? That actually means that when we get into sin, we didn't fall into sin. We actually chose to dabble in it because the power of it has been broken once Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. 
God didn't save us to leave us the same way we were when he found us. And I know that's something that you hear all the time. The Bible says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that that fruit shall remain. When you was a sinner, you was 100% all in. God says, now that you're a saint, you ought to look like a saint. There ought to be something that someone sees about you that's different than people they see in the world. They ought to be able to see Jesus in you. I don't care if you've been saved for a day or a thousand days. They, even if it's just a small piece, they ought to be able to see it. It's just a small piece of something changing in him. You might have just got saved yesterday, but they can see there's something, something changing. I can't exactly put my finger on it yet. I can't tell exactly, but there's something, something a little bit different about it. Like I could tell that something happened in his life. Now, I told you that in order to get from where pastor left off in Judges all the way to Second Chronicles, we passed up a lot of good Bible. We passed up a lot of good stories. And one of my favorite prophets in the Bible is the prophet Elisha. Actually, Elijah and Elisha. Uh, but the prophet Elisha is, is one of my favorite prophets in the Bible. And the reason that I bring him up is because we're talking about how we ought to look, that now that we are saints, we ought to look like saints. We ought to be starting to grow. We ought to be starting to mature. We ought to be starting to look like what God has called us to be. We shouldn't still be looking like sinners that just got out of the muck and the miry clay. I understand that it takes some time. It's a process. I understand that. But we ought to start to be looking like saints. And one of my favorite stories, now, if you heard me preach before, I got a lot of favorite stories. I say that all the time. I got a lot of favorite scriptures, too. I say that all the time. But one of my favorite stories about the prophet Elijah is when he's walking through Shushan. And there's a Shumanite woman, and she's talking to her husband. She sees him walking through. She just sees him. The Bible just says she just sees him walking through. And she says, we should build a room, an extra room on the house for this man. And then I don't know if her husband asked her why or not. It doesn't say whether he said anything or not. But then she said, I perceive him to be a man of God. You understand me that it didn't say that he was walking around passing out tracts? It didn't say that he was walking around with a Bible. It didn't even say that he was walking around healing the sick and cleansing the lame. He wasn't doing any of that. All he was doing was walking through the town of Shushan, and she could see something on him that was different than everybody else that walked by. She said, I perceive that this man is a man of God. And can I tell you that as becoming from sinners to saints, there ought to be some people that can look at you and say, I perceive that they have been with Jesus just like they could tell that you had been with Satan when you was living in the world people ought to be able to tell that you've been with Jesus we need more dedicated people in the kingdom of God Ooh, I know it's a hard word it's a hard word even for me I always feel like there's more stuff I could be doing too 
It's a hard word for me. I ain't exempt from this word. This word preached to me the whole time I was getting ready for it. I'm not exempt to it. I'm a man just like you. Make mistakes just like you. But I'm telling you that we ought to keep striving to grow and mature and become more and more like Christ than we've ever been. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that that fruit shall remain. I wish more people would get this down in their spirit. I wish more people would get a full understanding of this scripture that you didn't just one day decide that you were going to choose God. We like to think that we made that decision. I came to know Christ. I came to Jesus the day that I got saved. I wish you would get down into your spirit that it wasn't you. You're not here today because you just chose to go to church. God been stirring something up in your heart for a long time that's been telling you, you need to get to my house. You need to stop living like this. You need to stop speaking like this. You need to stop watching stuff like this. You need to stop treating people like this. You need to be better in your life and start trying to live right. The Holy Spirit's been stirring that up in you for a long time. You didn't just decide that you were going to one day serve God. God said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. That ought to make somebody feel special in here. Somebody ought to feel special in this room today to know that you're sitting in this church this morning because God chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And then he said, and I ordained you. That means I gave you purpose. More purpose than just coming to church on Sunday. I gave you purpose. I'm telling you what, that ought to make somebody stand 10 feet tall, strengthen your knees, and broaden your chest up. God said, I chose you, and then I gave you purpose for your life. I ordained you that you should bring forth fruit. Now, I know I hate to bust your bubble, but you know what Jesus said in John 15 about people that don't, that don't uh, produce fruit. Huh? He said they're cut down. And cast into the fire when you don't. I ain't got to tell you about the fig tree that should have been producing fruit. And when Jesus went to it and it wasn't producing fruit no more, he cursed it. And the next day when the disciples walked past it, it was withered and gone and dead. Because it wasn't producing the fruit that Jesus had ordained it to produce. I'm telling you, stop playing with God. Stop playing church and get serious about the purpose that God has carved out for your life. I know this is a hard word. This is a hard word. Pastor ain't even in here. He don't want you looking at him. Oh, he way back there. He don't even want you to look at him to feel like he put me up to this. Now, I mean, of course, ultimately, we make the choice because we have free will. God doesn't handcuff you or force you to do anything. But I'm telling you that that spirit... That Holy Spirit's been messing with me for years. For years he's been sending. You know what I noticed? You know what I noticed? I wasn't going to church. and I had stopped going to church. I could, I, actually, I can remember right around the time when I stopped going to church. I, I, I had a disappointment with God. I had a discussion with God. I can remember right around that time. And, and my mom didn't know nothing about this. And I don't know if, if, if this had anything to do with me not being. I, I used to have to go to church. 
And then there was a time in my life where I guess I must have been fighting it so much or something. She just threw her hands up. Said, all right, you want to go, go. If you don't, don't. Whatever. But she used to buy me suits every Easter. I had to wear a brand new suit every Easter to church. You know, I hated suits. What kid likes to wear a suit? I hated suits. I had to wear a suit every, every Easter at church. And then there became a certain time in my life where she stopped making me go to church. And I can remember right before that time, I can remember being so mad at God. I believed in God, but I was so mad at God. I remember looking up in my bedroom. I can't even remember what happened. I can't even remember why I was so mad. And I said, God, I hate you. And it wasn't long after that I stopped going to church. And I didn't have any more dealings with God, hardly except for the worship songs that my grandma would play, would play when she was in the house cooking or something. And I notice now, looking back, that from that moment, pretty much until the day that I got saved, God kept putting people in my life that was trying to lead me to him. I can remember just walking down the street, just being, I, I think I was on 7th, those of you that are from Steubenville, I think that I was on 7th Street or something like that. I, if you ain't from my era, then you may not know what used to happen on 7th Street, but 7th Street used to be pretty rough. And I, I can remember being on 7th Street there, somewhere that a man of God ain't even supposed to be, and someone walks up to me out of all people and starts asking me, do I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? And I'm like, no, I don't, and I'm busy, what do you want? And I can remember, I can remember that he wanted to lead me into the sinner's prayer, and I let him. I let him. Because I wasn't the type of person that liked to hurt people's feelings, really. So just for that reason, I was like, you know what, just so you don't feel like you wasted your time here, I'll go ahead and do the sinner's prayer. And I did. And I went on living a sinful life. But God took that prayer serious. Now that I look back on it, I realize how serious that prayer was to God. It might not have been serious to me. It might not have meant nothing to me. But God took that prayer serious. And ever since that day, God had been putting people in my life to, uh, 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 to, to be a witness unto me for him. I can remember I went to prison and I was getting cellies. And they were, cellies was coming in. Uh, cellies is cellmates. I'm sorry. Let me, let me back up a little bit. Those who don't know prison lingo. Cellies is a cellmate. So I was getting these cellmates that were worshiping God, and, and they were trying to get me to go to church, and I was telling them, no, I ain't doing that. That's the same who I am. And, and finally I did, and I got saved. But I ain't going to give you that whole story. That's for, that's for another time. I'm going to get back into this, but I, but I want you to know that you didn't one day choose God. Long ago, God chose you. As a matter of fact, his word says before the foundations of the world, you were predestinated. God chose you long ago, ever before you ever decided that you would take him up on his promise. Ever before you ever decided you, that you would take him up on his word, he had already chose you. Because God had another plan for our lives than the ones that we were carving out for ourselves. That's the reason why he saved us. Which brings me to the second greatest blessing that God gives his people. Oh, man, it's 42 minutes. It's probably wrap up. I know Wednesday night I thought, oh, man, I'm going to be late, and then it ended up being perfect. So, which brings me to the second greatest thing that God, blessing that God gives to his people. We talked about being saved. 
sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I kind of preached on it, which is sanctification. To be sanctified is to be set apart from a profane and secular use to a holy, righteous, and spiritual use. It's to be separated from the world and its views in order to be used by God for the kingdom of heaven and his views. Second, Second Corinthians 6 and 14, this is a familiar scripture. For those of you that have been in church for a while, it says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion have light with darkness? You know what that basically says? What that basically says is don't be entangled with worldly thinking and carnally minded people that will continue uh, to, to, uh, and continue to take on their worldly views and principles. Don't be so entangled with worldly thinking and carnally minded people that you continue to take on their worldly views and principles, allowing it to override the biblical views and principles of God. That's basically what that means. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. See, that doesn't mean that you can't witness to an unbeliever. That just means that you need to know, that, needs to need, that means that you need to know your weaknesses. Being unequally yoked is, is ignoring our vulnerabilities and weaknesses by placing ourselves in situations that are more likely to pull us away from God than draw us closer to God. Like I said earlier, I know we want to save everybody, but some of the people we want to save, well, we're trying to lift them up. The enemy sent them. The enemy, he sends people too. God sends people. The enemy sends people too. The enemy sent them to pull us down. And listen, that don't mean that you may not ever be ready for that conversation. It just means that you may not be ready right now. You got to you can't get saved day one and then go out and preach salvation to people. You got to have some process of growing. You got to have some sanctification. You got to have some being set apart. You got to have some being learning of the word of God. You got to have some time in scripture. You got to have some time in prayer. You got to know how to worship before you can go out and start trying to teach people about salvation. So it ain't that you might not can never come back to this person. But for right now, you need to know your vulnerabilities and weaknesses so that you can be all you can be for the kingdom of God. And if there's one area in our walk with Christ where we feel like we're missing the mark or we're failing God, it's in the area of sanctification. Being set apart for his holy use. Why? Because we allow things to come in between us being set apart for we allow things to come in between us being used by God what do I mean by that we allow disappointments resentments bitterness depression unforgiveness doubtfulness distractions the following of our own plans yeah, yeah, yeah. The following of our own plans and ambitions and goals, we allow those things to keep us from being used in the way that God desires to use us. So this is what we got to do. If there's any area in our spiritual walk 
where we feel like we failed God, it's in this area of being used by God. And listen to me, I'm not just speaking on a year-to-year basis or on a month-to-month basis or on a week-to-week basis. I understand that there's some times where you let God use you in your life, all right? I understand. Some of us have been going to church here for a long time. Some of us have been in the way for a long time. But I want you to know that I'm talking to you too. I know you were just sitting there clapping your hands and feeling like, oh, he's just talking to the new people that just got saved. But no, I'm talking to you too. And I want you to know that I ain't talking week to week, month to month, and year to year. I'm talking moment to moment. See, this is what I'm saying. There's times in the same week that I let God use me to do something, and then the next, and then a couple days later, because I was full of bitterness and low self-esteem, or I was distracted, or I had resentment, or I was angry at my wife, I didn't let God use me to do what he wanted to do then, and so I failed God. Or at least I felt like it. At least I felt like I failed God. We have to always be open to the using, to allow God to use us, sanctify us, and set apart. We have to, every moment, every minute of the day, every moment of our life, we have to always be open to allow God to do what he needs to do in us. No matter how we feel, no matter what troubles we're facing today, no matter what triumphs we're up against, we need to put all of those things aside and allow God to be God and just do what God wants to do. And this is the place where God's people found themselves. This is the predicament they were in. This is a similar situation that Israel was in. God was using them to prove to all other nations that he alone was God. So we're, we're, we're back to, to Second Chronicles now where the Babylonians have come in, Nebuchadnezzar have come in. They, they, they've, they've burned down the temple. they destroyed the temple. They've taken people back to be captive. They took all of the articles out of the temple and took them back. They've ruined and destroyed Jerusalem. And this is where we're at now because they wouldn't allow themselves to be separated, to be set apart for God's holy use. This is what God wanted. God was using to prove to the other nations that he alone is God. This was the whole purpose that God pointed out Abraham. I don't want to go too far back. We already been there. But this is the whole purpose that God pointed out Abraham and then gave them, and then he went with, with uh, Isaac and Jacob and gave them a nation because he wanted to show all the other nations that I am God through them. He said in Ezekiel chapter 37, he said, my dwelling place also will be among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. They weren't content with allowing God to set them apart and separate them from the nations around them in order to become instruments that could be used by God for his holy purpose. Instead, you know what they wanted? They wanted to be like all the other nations. Isn't that a problem that we have in the kingdom of God? Instead of allowing God to set us apart and use us for his holy use, for what he wants to do with us, we want to be just like the world. We want to wake up every day and do the stuff that the world does that they call fun. We want to, we want to go to bed every night, watch the movies that the world watches because they're fun to the world, and yet we ignore. And then we say we don't have enough time for God. Huh. 
You know that? If we could just take a record of how much you scroll. Because then we say we don't have enough time for God. We don't have enough time to do these things that God wants us to do. We don't have enough time to read the Bible. We don't have enough time to study Scripture. We don't have enough time, but we got time for everything else. I get it. Sometimes we're busy. I get it. But if you're too busy for God, I heard pastor say this before, then you're just too busy. You need to start cutting some stuff out of your life. You're just too busy. So, this is what he said. So, where was I? Uh, Deuteronomy, they were failing to obey the instructions that accompanied the blessings of sanctification. Now, I've been here a long time. And I don't want to be here no more. But I do want to tell you the blessings that they were failing, that, that they lost for failing to obey, the bless, to, to obey the instructions that God gave them to accompany the blessings. This is what he said. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commandments that I am giving you today, this is uh, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 10. The Lord your God will set you high above all other nations of the world. He said, I'll set you high. You know what that means? I'll set you apart. I'll sanctify you. I'll set you apart. If you do these things, if you follow these instructions that I'm giving you to accompany these blessings, then I'm going to set you apart. I'll set you high above all the other nations of the world. You will experience all of these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. The fruit baskets and bread boards will be blessed. Whenever you go, wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. Verse 13 says, if you listen to these commands that the Lord your God that I am giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will be above and not beneath. You must turn away from anything from, you must turn away from any of the commands. You must not turn away from any of the commands I am giving you today, nor follow after other gods, nor worship them. But if you do these things, if you follow these instructions, you'll continue to live in the blessings that I am giving you. And the next blessing that God gives us, which is an astronomical blessing that we can't even really measure or understand, I'm glad to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you, when it, now, now, now listen, I, this is what I want you to understand. I'm not going to preach on, on Holy Ghost baptism right now, but this is what I want you to understand, that when you say yes to Jesus, Jesus said... <clears throat> Jesus said, when I go away, I'll send another one just like me, a, a comforter. I'll send a comforter, and, and he, will, he will be with you. He will live with you. He will abide in you, and, uh, and you can trust in him. He said, he will teach you all things that I have said and bring, and bring those things to remembrance. This is what Jesus said. So upon salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. But then we believe that as, as you get further with God, that there's, a, there's another in, infilling of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. There's another infilling of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in the church of God, we say that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit subsequent to a clean heart. That means to right living. It means when you start living right, that God sees that, that you allowed him to save you and sanctify you. And then you start 
praying. I, re I can remember the day that I was praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get into preaching that because that's really not part of my message. But I can remember the time that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember it was up at the other church, and I was praying and praying and praying to receive this, this gift of God from the Holy Spirit. And I can remember that pastor was preaching, and then he said to some people, he said, he gathered some people to pray. He said, I want you to come up here. I was up in the front. He was, it wasn't altar call yet. I was hungry. It wasn't altar call yet. I was just up in the front. He was preaching his normal message. If he had stepped off the stage, he might have ran me over. You know how he used to be when he was a little bit younger. If he had tried to run and jump on one of them chairs, he might have kneed me in the back. I was just standing down there praying for the Holy Spirit, and somehow he just knew. And he said, this brother has tried to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Saints, can I get someone? He stopped right in the middle of his service. Saints, can I get someone to stretch their hands forth and pray for him? Now, his service was almost over. It's not like he stopped right in the middle of the word. It was almost over. And then I can remember them praying. He went on preached his service, and then after the altar call, then he gave the altar call, and then after that, I can remember him coming over and I was out on the floor and I was praying and I was crying and I can remember him kneel down. I felt something beside me. I didn't know it was him actually. I felt something beside me and he must have been praying for me and he was only there for a second and then that person got up and I could tell because it was his voice and he started running. He took off running from me laughing. <laughs> he was laughing and I didn't know what he was laughing about but apparently because we believe also that the baptism of the, Holy, of the Holy Ghost you know it and you can tell it because it's given by the utterance of speaking in tongues see we believe that and that's what I started to do at that time I started speaking in tongues and that must have been when he got up and started running and listen to me to this day I don't know what I said in tongues I know what I was trying to say I was trying to say thank you Jesus 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 but whatever I was saying wasn't coming out in English it was coming out in another language that nobody else could understand so when I talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost we're talking about the greatest gift that we ever had that God ever gave us um, Jesus Christ it's all together all right it's all together. Greatest gift. Saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of things that come with being baptized in the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of gifts that come with that. The Bible says that we get the gift of speaking in tongues and giving interpretations, the gift of prophecy, the gift of discernment, the gift of miracles, uh, the gift of healing, the gift of administration. There's a lot of gifts. Not only are there gifts that come with the Holy Spirit, there's also fruits, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There's also fruits that come with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of great gifts that we get when we get the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Romans uh, chapter 5 says that the Holy Spirit is the one that sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. There's a lot of great gifts that we get when we get the Holy Spirit. But it's also a blessing. It's also a blessing. It's also a blessing that comes with instructions that we need to obey. Now, now of course, we know there's the most important instruction you need to know about the Holy Ghost is don't blaspheme the Holy Ghost because that's the one sin 
Jesus said, you will not be forgiven. So, I said, we need to understand that instruction first and foremost and never even get to that point. But, but what I want to speak to you about is in the book of Acts. There was instruction. Jesus gave with the Holy Ghost. He, he said that all of those things that I just said to you, when Jesus told his disciples to wait in the upper room and he said, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. Listen to what he said. He didn't say that it was so you could speak in tongues. He didn't say that you were going to get this power. It's powerful. It's dunamis. It's mighty power. But he didn't say this power was going to come upon you so that you could lay hands on people and they could be healed. He didn't say that this power was going to come upon you so that you have the gift of prophecy and so that you have discernment. You can see a devil when he walks in the room. He didn't say that that was the reason you was going to get this power. You know why Jesus said you're going to get the Holy Ghost? So you can be witnesses unto me. So that you can be witnesses unto me. And we fail. A lot of times, we fail to take heed, to obey the instructions that has been given to us with the blessing. Listen, I know you might have led three people. Now, see, I'm talking to saints. I'm talking to old-time saints, too. Still glorifying, still, still in our heyday. We led 10 people to the Lord back in 1978. We ain't led one person since. And it ain't because they ain't there to be led, but we stopped witnessing. It's not because God ain't still powerful. It's not because God can't change a man's heart. It, it, it ain't because they're not willing to change. People are looking for change. They're looking for something good in their lives. Sometimes somebody's so broken down, they don't know where to turn. They just want to find somebody with some good news. And here you come, the person that has that good news all wrapped up in them, the Holy Spirit, but the devil got your mouth like this, and you're afraid to say anything because they might get offended. Why do you think the enemy works so hard at keeping you quiet? Ha-ha. <laughs> Ha-ha. See, when I think about that, I think about, I think this ain't part of my sermon, but when I think about that, I, I, I think about blind Artemis and how, the, and how the disciples tried to keep him quiet too when Jesus was walking by. But we know that had he not screamed out, had he not said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The enemy tried to keep him quiet too. The reason why we have the Holy Spirit is so that we can be witnesses unto Christ. And we fail to obey this instruction. A study that I looked up, they cross all generations. When I say all generations, I mean like baby boomers, millennials, Gen X, you know, all of those. All generations. A study that I looked up from Barna, you know what it said? It said 94 to 97% of believers believe that we ought to share our faith. 94 to 97%. That's amazing, right? I started clapping. I was ready to run around my room when I read that night. Believe that we ought to 
94 to 97% believe that we ought to share our faith with Jesus. And, this, and then they also went so far to say, another part of the question was, they believe that if they find, that finding Jesus as their Lord and Savior is the best thing that ever happened to their life. 94 to 97% believe that finding Jesus as their Lord and Savior is the best thing that ever could happen to their lives. And then I kept reading. And then it said among millennials, 40, uh, millennials was part of that 94 to 97%. 47%, almost half, believe that it's wrong to share your faith with someone that already has another faith. So we would rather let them, just like Israel, we would, rather, we would rather let them run around and serve their false gods than tell them the truth about the one true and living God. Forty-seven percent. And that's what our church looks like today. We're so afraid, so afraid to do what God called us to do, so afraid to be witnesses, so afraid to share. <laughs> Listen, every, every person that you meet not, might not be a coming to Jesus moment. The Bible says, the Bible says that uh, a, a Paulus water, Paul, Paul planted the seed of Paulus water, but it was God that gave the increase. Sometimes you might just be planting the seed. Sometimes you might be watering the seed, but trust and believe that it's never on you for them to receive their salvation. It's God that'll give the increase. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Especially in the day that we live in right now, there's multiple ways to witness to people. With the technology that we have right now, there's multiple ways to witness to people. You can put scriptures on Facebook. You can put encouraging words on there. You can go down to the homeless shelter. You can help people. You can look after the, the widows and the orphans and, and all of those things. That God, you can go visit people in the prisons, and you can treat them right. But, but the problem that we're finding in the church is that nobody wants to do nothing but come to church and think they're so holy. It's a hard word. It's a hard word. I hope it's sinking in because I ain't getting no more claps. <laughs> I hope it's sinking in. All right. So this is the last thing. So we, just like Israel and Judah, sometimes fail to obey the instructions that accompany the blessing. But I want to encourage you. Now we're getting to a little bit of encouragement. I know you're down right now. I didn't beat you up all morning. But I want to encourage you to know, first of all, that we all fall short of the glory of God. Whenever you feel like you failed God, that you've let God down when you should have did, you know that you should. I don't know how I know if I'm the only one in here. I know I was supposed to tell that person about Jesus, and I just didn't do it. I know I was supposed to, and I did not let God use me in that moment. I know I was supposed to, and I just didn't do it because I was too busy. I got too many things to do. I'm on the run. I got, I got, I got to get home. I got to do this. I got to wash the car. I got to cut the grass. I ain't got time to stop 
and give this person something that will save their life from hell, which is way more important than anything that I got to do. But that's how I feel about it at the time. So I want you to know that even when you feel like you felt God, when, 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 when you're not walking exactly right in one of these three things, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. But can I tell you that even in our failures, that God is still faithful. You've been waiting for some encouragement. There it is right there. God is still faithful. God is still faithful. Hebrews 10 and 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Yeah, you could come on up. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. God is faithful. And when we realize that, when we recognize that we have failures and that we fall short, we need to understand that even though we fell short, we saw of a God that is full of mercy, that is full of compassion, that is full of grace, that is full of forgiveness, and it is willing to give you your next chance to prove yourself to him. Don't waste it. Listen, don't waste it. So you didn't do it this time. Don't waste it next time. Make sure that you do it next time. Don't waste your next chance. See, the Israelites felt God in the story that we're, we're reading. They had to at least feel like they felt God. Of course they felt God. They went into this land that was a promise. They were supposed to be sanctified people. They were supposed to be set apart, used by God. They were supposed to be an example on how good their God was and how their God was the only God and these other things that you were serving, these mere idols and things that you've been building up yourself. They ain't nothing and they never, they're, they're broken and cracked cisterns. They can't even hold water. This is what Israel was supposed to be preaching to these other nations through the way that they lived and the way that they worship and the way and, 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 and the way that and the way that they serve God. This is what they were supposed to be preaching to these other nations but instead they failed God again <laughs> we ain't gonna go back through this but there's so many times in here where Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do but I want to give somebody some encouragement to know that even when we feel like we failed God Failure is sometimes a, is a chance to find God again. See, because this is what happened. I'm going to tell you what I, why I feel that way. This is what happened. I read an article. I read an article on this, on this issue. Now, there are some stupid people and some dumb art articles out there. And I thought this one was one of them. But I did think that it had some good points. So this is what this article said. They were trying to prove in this article that Israel served actually two gods. That they didn't just serve Jehovah. They served another god named Asherah. All right? And I'm not even going to tell you all of the things that they said about Asherah, that Israel, that they felt like the Bible was trying to hide about Asherah. I don't know how they feel that the Bible was trying to hide anything about Asherah because one of the first things that God told Israel is when you go in there and, and get rid of their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah poles as well. 
God acknowledged that that was a God that they were serving. But, th but this is what this article said. It said that around 586 B.C., which is the time that we're reading in 2 Chronicles before Israel was taken into captivity, it says Israel mostly served two gods, right? And they think they got some profound thing that they're saying right now, right? They think that this is so profound. And then, and then they went on to have the nerve to say that, that most of Israel worshipped Asherah, and there was only a few that actually worshipped Jehovah. And I'm thinking you're absolutely right. Because that's exactly what the Bible says. That it's because they were serving these other gods that God even sent Nebuchadnezzar against them and took them captive back to Babylon. That's exactly what it said. I don't, I don't know how you missed that. That is exactly what it said Israel was doing. That they were serving all of these other gods and playing the harlot. But then the article went on to say, that it wasn't until after they went into captivity that they took back, that they rededicated themselves to the idea of being monotheists. So they were saying before they were polytheists, which means they served many gods. And then it wasn't until they went back into captivity that they took on the idea of becoming monotheists. That's exactly what God planned for them to do when he took them in the captivity. This is lining right up with Bible. I don't see how they can't see it. This is lining right up with Bible. And so in this way, Israel's failures gave them a chance to see God again. Your failures can help you find God again. Before I get out of your way, oh my, it's one iron 12. Oh, pastor preaches longer than this. Don't get on this. Before I get out of your way, there's just three quick things. Three successes that can be produced out of our failures. The first one is humility. Our failures have an opportunity to make us humble before God. You remember what God said? He said, when you get in the land, and you get all of these blessings, and you build your houses and your vineyards, and you get all this, and you got all these blessings, don't forget who gave them to you. How often do we get prideful over the things that God gave them to us like we did it for ourselves? One of the stories that I'm reminded of is the story of Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says that God told every nation that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come against you. I have given him power to take rule over all of these nations. He's taken Israel captive, taken everything back. God said that he is my servant, and I am giving him rule over all of these nations. And then when you look in Daniel, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar stood out on a roof one time looking over all that he had and said, look at all of this stuff that I did myself. Look at this nation that I built for my majestic splendor the new living translation says and he forgot or didn't give credit to the god that gave him everything that he had humility at the end of that story the bible tells us that god made Nebuchadnezzar like one of the animals. And he was down eating grass. He had lost his mind. He went completely crazy. He's eating grass. 
with the rest of the animals because he, because he thought he was so powerful. He thought he was so big. God broke him down. And then the Bible says that when his sanity came back to him, when he finally regained his right mind, he started praising and worshiping God as, as, as believing and knowing that it was God that gave him everything. And then he said the honor that he had after he praised God was better than what he had before when he was praising himself for it. He was greater after that than he was before it. One of the things that we can get is humility. Now these next two things, I probably hit a little harder. The second, through humility, that we can get the second thing that we can find through God, the way that we can find God, through humility, our failures can build up our hope in God and in ourselves. We can find hope, trusting and believing that God is up to something. I'm going to go to Jeremiah. Five and eight. Twenty-nine, I'm sorry. Jeremiah twenty-nine. Five and eight. Because I want you to understand that even though these these Israelites were taken captive, even though they were taken, they 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 were ripped out of their land. Everything that they had was taken, even the temple where they where they served God was destroyed. All of their artifacts, all of their sacred artifacts was taken. The instruments that Daniel built, that uh, David built, I'm sorry, that David built, over 400 instruments that he built by himself was all taken back to Babylon. And this is what God said to them in verse 5. He said, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you can have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it and for its welfare, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel says. He says, don't let yourself dwindle away. I know that it looks bad right now. I know that it looks like you failed me. You haven't done right by me. And it looks like you're cursed when you're actually blessed because of everything that you're going through. I know that the trials of life and tribulation are coming against you so strong right now that it looks so bad that you don't believe that it's ever going to get better. You don't believe that the pain is ever going to end. I understand that you lost your loved one. I understand that you may have lost your job. I understand that it looks like you won't be able to pay your bills. I understand that all of these things don't look good right now. But what I'm telling you is don't let yourself dwindle away even in this place right now you can still find hope find the hope within yourself to keep putting one foot out in front of the other and no matter how bad it looks don't you stop walking don't you stop praising don't you stop lifting your hands don't you stop doing what I told you to do keep building keep building keep multiplying keep doing what I told you to do don't allow yourself to dwindle away Because 
Jeremiah 29 and 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans that I think towards you. I know the plans that I think towards you. Plans of good and not of evil. It don't look good right now. But I but trust me, hold on. Good is coming. It don't look good right now. It don't look like you're gonna make it out of this right now. But if you would just hold on, I'm telling you, good is coming. I know you felt like you failed me, but don't let them failures drive you away from me. Don't let yourself dwindle away. Just hold on. Good is coming. I know that marriage looks a little bit rocky right now, but I'm telling you, if you'll just stand there, stand fast, and refuse to be moved good is coming. I know that that addiction has come back on you. You was three years clean and now you're back to where you're only 32 days clean. But I'm telling you if you'll just keep walking now to day 33 and day 34 and day 35, I am going to rebuild you. Oh, I don't want to preach past the anointing. Somebody jump to your feet. Everybody jump to your feet. Somebody get up on your feet. I don't want to preach past the anointing. Listen. Listen what I'm telling you. It don't matter what you're going through right now. Can I tell you that God has a plan for you? God has a purpose for your life. It don't matter how bad it looks. Can I tell you that God has a plan and a purpose that he's going to bring you through everything that the enemy is trying to do to kill you? God is going to bring you through it if you'll just trust and believe and not allow yourself to be dwindled away I know this was a hard word I know this was a hard word I know this was a hard word but let me encourage you but let me encourage you we may have failed God I'm in that I'm in there too we may have failed God but just because we failed God didn't disqualify us didn't disqualify us for ministry. It didn't disqualify us for being a good parent. It doesn't disqualify us for being a good husband. It doesn't disqualify us for being a good wife. It didn't disqualify us for being a good child. It didn't disqualify us for being a good minister. Listen, can I tell you that God's plan for you hasn't changed? That he means that he that from the moment he saved you, his plan was to sanctify you, set you apart, and fill you with his Holy Ghost. And as long as you're still breathing and you will accept the call because he chose you out of it. As long as you're still breathing and you accept the call, God will still do it. Does somebody believe that God will still do it? I don't care what you're up against. I don't care what has come against you. Do you believe that God will still do it? I will rebuild you. 